This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. It's official. This has become a good news is bad news market. The Dow plunged 201 points today. S&P plummeted 0.82%. NASDAQ nosedived 1.81%. And why? Because we got the best jobless claims number in 49 years. The economy's too hot. So people are worried about the Fed, justifiably, and they're worried that long-term bond yields are spiking and might not stop here. When you have a sell-off of this magnitude, you kind of have to wait it out a little. I'm not telling you to panic, but you definitely don't want to be at the front of the phalanx. This is not the time to be a hero. At moments like this, you need some touchstones to figure out when the pain is likely to end. So I'm here tonight to give you some guidance. First, to paraphrase Tolstoy and Anna Karenina, all happy rallies are alike. Every unhappy sell-off is unhappy in its own way. In other words, every decline is different from each other. And when it comes to this decline, I think it's too early to be really aggressive. Although I think it's okay tomorrow if we're down, if we're down, to start buying slowly. Why not be more positive? I am worried about your fellow shareholders. They're your worst enemies right here. Many of them are people with big profits from renters who are just along for the ride. They don't want to give up their gains. So what, you know what they're thinking? Given the damage this ri- that rising bond yields can do to the stock market, well, they're thinking it's only day one of the sell-off. And it's true. We should have been down yesterday. Rate yields were spiking. What the heck was that? Why were we up? So I'm saying be patient. Certainly pick. Again, if we're down, you pick. But don't try to call the bottom. Second, this is a decline where time may be as important as price. It's going to take some time for these weak-handed sellers to get flushed out, regardless of how low we go. We just have been up for so darn long that investors are only now getting the sell memo. Considering the strength of today's jobless claim figures, I mean, you got to be worried that tomorrow we're going to have a smoking hot employment number at 8.30 a.m., and that could spur even more selling, hence maybe a benign opportunity. So with those caveats in mind, what do we need to see before we can be more confident that this unhappy sell-off has run its course and you have to use it to buy? i got 10 telltale signs I want to, I'm watching for you, okay? First, this is a sell-off that's led by FANG, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google, now Alphabet. In the past, FANG has always bounced back. But only, it doesn't bounce until only after we read the obituaries and finish the coroner's inquest. The problem, I only actually read one single death notice for FANG today, and that's very bad news. FANG bottoms after journalists spill oceans of ink about how the group has outlived its usefulness. We need stories about 
how Facebook's the canary in the coal mine, how industry sources say that Apple's buying fewer components, how Amazon's margins are being squeezed by the $15 an hour gambit, how European governments are putting the jackboots on Alphabet's neck. Once we start getting those premature obituaries, then Fang may be ready to bounce and even establish a leadership role again. But for now, it's not happening. Of these, by the way, I told Charitable Trust member, ActionLordsPlus.com club members this evening, Amazon's the most attractive. Second, the drug stocks have been rallying furiously for days. We've seen Allergan march higher, Pfizer and Merck climb. Well, no real news. Lily's now up nearly 20 straight points since its announcement of spinning off Elanco and now a new drug that combats obesity and diabetes. They're too high. Why? Because these big pharma names are bellwether inflation stocks. They all pay bountiful dividends, and these dividends get less attractive when bond yields are rising. So they tend to get clobbered in this kind of environment, and they haven't been yet. I'd feel a lot more comfortable when Merck goes back below 68 and Pfizer sinks below 40. Third, on a similar note, dividend yields are offering no protection here because they're too small. The soft goods stocks only stabilize when their yields hit 3.5%, but right now it's, it's not proven to be much of a cushion, frankly. Again, this is all about bonds. Many people expect the 10-year will go from 3.2% to 3.5% in a straight line. So what good is a 3.5% yield of a stock? That means the pain won't necessarily stop until bond yields stop going higher or the dividend stocks go substantially lower. Fourth, you need to watch the Wall Street promotion machine for a sign that things have bottomed. There's a very common trajectory when the market's going down. First, the analysts will try to keep recommending stocks, and, and, and they're going to be completely ignored. When they raise their price targets or even upgrade from hold to buy and no one listens, they're going to switch directions, and they're going to start downgrading. When those downgrades stop sending stocks lower, then you'll know a bottom is at hand, but we're not there yet. Fifth, the market's generals. The stocks have been leading us higher. Well, they need to be marched out and shot. Lately, the cyclicals have been the best leaders, right, because of a belief that we may be uh, finally beating the Chinese in this trade war. But the Chinese could easily hold out until the midterms, and they may decide to do that since the polls aren't exactly looking all that great for the president's party. The truth is we have no idea what's going on with China. Most of what you hear on this issue is mere speculation. And when the market turns ugly, you better believe the speculation will get more negative. So we have to expect the cyclicals and the rails will roll over. I am concerned about the rails. Once the stocks are derailed, well, then you can start thinking about buying them. Six, when the market gets hit like this, the chartists all go negative because they're seeing double tops, head and shoulders, uh, you know, patterns, uh, island reversals like we saw in AMD stock uh, yesterday and then again today. You want to wait until their negativity is baked in. Seventh, last week was terrific. Terrific for the cloud kings. They all moved up in conjunction with Salesforce.com's annual Dreamforce conference. But that was a spike, and I think the cloud stocks could easily see a 10% correction here. I wouldn't touch them until they're down maybe, let's say, 8 to 9% from their highs, although at this pace, that could be tomorrow. Worst case scenario, they don't go down that much, and you miss a minor buying opportunity. As much as I love the cloud companies, Salesforce, ServiceNow, Adobe, Red Hat, Workday, VMware, Splunk, the group is simply way too hot right now. Let some of them cool. Eight oil needs to start going lower. Today's $2 decline wasn't enough. Market doesn't mind higher oil prices as long as they rise slowly. But ever since the president reinstated our sanctions on Iran, the price of crude has been roaring, and that's brutal for the earnings of every company that consumes oil, which is most of them. The pullback to 74 was a good start, but we need to see more weakness. Ninth, I cannot stress this enough. Jay Powell, our new Fed chairman, has to stop talking about overshooting to stop inflation. Last night, he said the Fed may need to rise, raise rates more uh, then it might be palatable. In other words, Powell thinks he may need to destroy the economy in order to save it. That's deadly. 
The market can't bottom when we're hearing this kind of chatter. Investors are already justifiably afraid of the Fed. Powell's only adding fuel to the fire. Tenth, somebody needs to dethrone King Dollar. Numbers are coming down all over the place because the dollar's too strong. We saw that from PepsiCo. Nobody cared that the problem was currency-related. They acted as though the weakness was organic. That was dreadful. The stock can't stop getting shelled. Now, there are a lot more signs that could be worth watching for. If the super red-hot stocks like Roku, Square, cool off, that's good. Same goes for everything from the off-price retailers to Twitter to my fave NVIDIA to Twilio. But the bottom line is that the long-overdue sell-off has arrived. If you try to pull the trigger and do some buying before some of these boxes are checked, I think your first buy won't be your only buy. So be patient. Pick if you must, but leave plenty of room for still more downside. Garden variety, correction, it's here. Glenn in New Jersey. Glenn. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my phone call. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, my, question, my question is about ticker symbol AMRN. Just had a real big run-up, and I'm a long-time oh. holder. I've been accumulating yeah. for the last six years. I got a lot of money, a lot of profit, and uh, a lot of skin in the game. But uh, my question is, should I buy more? No, 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 no. Ka-ching, ka-ching. I, uh... take, out your, take out your capital. Take out what you put in. Let the rest run. But please, please, please do that. It's up on the spike. Jerry in West Virginia. Jerry. Jim, a mountaineer booyah to you. All right. My, quest- my question, Jim, is on Skyworks Solution, the latest teardown of the Apple phone uh, free uh, chips of Skyworks was in the phone. Do you think this is enough to get the stock moving? No, or do you no, think we're going to wait on that one. We've got other semi- the semiconductors are in the downturn here. Uh, it's too early. It's too early to buy. David in Ohio. David. Hi, Jim. Nice of you to take my call. Thank you. Hey, I'm a new uh, Action Alerts member. Oh, thank you for subscribing. Up your, just finishing up your Get Rich Carefully book, and it's thank been you. enlightening. You also have a very professional but a fun team behind you. The best staff in the business. Great. Best staff in the business. Yep. My question is about Actio, A-P-P-I. I liked your interview with uh, Sonny Gupta, the CEO yes. of the company. And its story. Uh, now with the announcement yesterday of its acquisition of uh, Fitted Cloud uh, and its recent pullback, although I bought early and have been adding to my position on the way down, do you think this is a good entry point or would you wait till? No, uh, you got to wait till it comes down more. This is the kind of stock that could come down still more. I don't want you to buy any more right here. Wait till it comes lower and then I think you'll do great. All right, this is the long overdue sell off, people. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to get through this together. I just don't want you to start buying too early. Do some hand-sitting until the boxes get checked. Maybe pick on the way down. Man Money Tonight, my exclusive with Constellation Brands. company was able to brew a profit in the stock soaring on the news. Can it keep up the momentum? Then it's National Taco Day, people, and I've got one big way to celebrate. I'm sitting down with Chipotle's top executives to talk about, ha, 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 the company's turnaround. And do your stocks have what it takes to survive the unknowns in this market? Just the today's drop. I'll be the judge when we play MI Diversified. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. 
One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. On a terrible day in the stock market, it's always nice to see a recently downtrodden stock catch fire especially when that stock belongs to a high-quality company like Constellation Brands, STZ. After years of phenomenal outperformance, the stock had started to lag over the past few months. Constellation, the beer, wine, and liquor company you probably know as Corona and Modelo, fell out of favor at the Wall Street Fashion Show, in part because the rest of the beer business seemed to be slowing, and in part because they made a couple of major investments in canopy growth. That's the best of the Canadian cannabis companies. A lot of people thought Constellation's embrace of the budding marijuana business as a sign that something was wrong in the alcohol side of things. Turns out that couldn't be further from the truth. This morning, Constellation delivered a beautiful quarter and it's a beaten raise. Corona Modelo growing at a 10% clip. In response, the stock surged more than $11 or 5.5%. Remember, it's a really bad day for the market. I wouldn't be surprised if they have more room to run. Don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Rob Sands, the CEO of Constellation Brands, to learn more about the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Sands, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Okay, so Rob, I, I listen to package good company after package good company. The thrill with three, four, five percent growth. How are you able to have double digit growth in a category that is not doing well in a group that has almost no growth? Well, it's really all about the subcategories that we participate in, Jim. So we participate strictly in imported high end Mexican beer. Uh, Contrary to the performance of the rest of the category, uh, due to a lot to demographic trends and, and, and really the strength of our brand, uh, this segment of the business has been a very uh, robust part of the business from a growth point of view. And we, of course, have been leading that growth. But you've also introduced uh, a new beer that is Red Hot Premier. Uh, also, some of your older brands like Pacifico, Vic- uh, Victoria. These are brands that have been around. They're growing double digit. I don't even know. I don't know where these customers are coming from for this. Yeah, well, you know, these are brands that uh, have uh, traditional uh, following in Mexico. Victoria is one of the biggest brands in Mexico, for instance, and uh, therefore it's gained a lot of popularity, especially with the Hispanic uh, demographic in the United States. Pacifico uh, is a brand that has really taken off in Southern California and now is expanding. Uh, throughout the rest of the country. So uh, we've got a great portfolio of brands. We've got some very strong growth drivers. We've got great NPD, as you mentioned, with uh, Corona Premier, which is our low-calorie, low-carbohydrate version of Corona, and Familiar, which is um, a very sort of traditional and uh, retro package that uh, is very popular in Mexico and has now become very popular in the United States. We also have, uh, you know, a very strong wine portfolio with... uh, our premium brands, it's another segment that has very strong growth from a consumer products point of view, high single-digit growth. And uh, we have some of the leading brands in that category with brands like The Prisoner and Miomi and Kim Crawford. Uh, you know, these are all uh, stalwarts when it comes to growth. Well, there were two things that told me that the narrative about your company is very wrong. One is that incredible numbers. Two, you bought 1.9 million shares of common stock during this downturn. It's a $404 million purchase. Obviously, that shows the great faith. Yeah, in actuality, uh, during the first half of the year, we bought uh, $500 million, $400 million in the last uh, quarter, approximately. 
And, uh, yeah, we have a lot of confidence in the business. The first quarter, uh, you know, we told uh, everybody what was going to happen in the first quarter in that we front-loaded our uh, marketing, especially for our beer new products, our NPD, Premier and Familiar. And so we expected to have a relatively muted uh, first quarter. And those investments in the first quarter paid off uh, pretty much exactly as we expected, if not better. Uh, you know, you look at our uh, NPD, again, Premier, Familiar Air mm -hmm. primarily, uh, the incrementality on that is uh, well over 75%, which uh, for line extensions is almost unheard of in uh, consumer products. Well, because we know you're doing well in that, it's obvious that you're taking the offense, not defense, when it comes to cannabis. Uh, in your uh, one of your presentations, cannabis, once a century disruptive market transition, you have put more money in this category than all the companies combined, and you're actually talking in this conference call that this is the future's now for these products. Well, absolutely. The future is now. Look, I said a couple of things that I think are important, uh, and you said it. Number one, we're playing offense, not defense. This, is, this has nothing to do with the core business or uh, defending against uh, you know, the potential cannibalization of beverage alcohol by cannabis. There's really no evidence of that. And our core business, as uh, we've demonstrated in the first half of the year in this quarter, is stronger than ever. And really what we're trying to do is... Uh, take advantage of our, our strong position, our growth, and invest in, in an aligned category, which we think is the, the incrementality will be 100% and is truly a new frontier of a category that will be uh, at least a couple of hundred billion dollars globally over the next uh, 10 or 15 years. Uh, we also have invested in uh, the largest producer of cannabis in the world with a leading uh, brands and organization that, um, you know, I think will certainly be a leader in the industry going forward. So, you know, we couldn't be, we couldn't be more excited about our canopy investment. All right. So my partner, David Faber, this morning says, well, what happens if you go get a CBD uh, can of whatever? Is it water with CBD? Is it tasting? Is it mixed with? Why don't you tell us what we'll be able to do with a CBD something or other if we go to a bar or we go to a convenience store? Yeah, so um, first of all, most likely the products that will be produced as it relates to beverages will be non-alcoholic beverages. Uh, there may be a beer analog, there may be a champagne analog, there may be uh, a spirits analog, there may be a water analog, a tea analog, et cetera, all containing uh, some version of cannabis. Uh, CBD, interestingly enough, is the non-psychoactive component in cannabis, which we expect to become legalized uh, potentially as soon as uh, shortly after this election, because there's a, there's a provision in the Farm Bill that uh, will actually legalize CBD, the non-psychoactive component. And I think you'll see a lot of uh, beverages uh, introduced probably non-alcoholic or in, uh, I would say, most cases, non-alcoholic uh, to take advantage of at least the CBD uh, legalization. THC containing cannabis, uh, that's going to be some time off, but I would say that the political front is uh, developing very quickly there. And I think that uh, in the United States, you know, we believe that it's an inevitability that uh, 
that cannabis will be decriminalized at the uh, federal level. Uh, and as we already know, uh, a lot of states have legalized it recreationally. The majority of states have legalized it, at least for medical. And, uh, you know, there's a number of states that have recreational legalization on the bill this November. And there's quite a number of states that have medical uh, marijuana legalization on the bill as well. So it's moving fast. Also, I mean, I think you shouldn't lose sight of the international opportunity. Right. Uh, there's huge countries. Uh, UK is looking at uh, medical legalization. Uh, Germany has already legalized uh, medical okay. marijuana. These are all places, given our canopy investment, that, uh, that we can play in. We think it's important to be able to play in all channels and in all segments, not just beverages. Well, I think you're going to own that and not category, not just recreational. Too. You're going to be owning it, Rob, because you spent the money and you've got the, the share. That's Rob Sands, CEO of Constellation Brands. This stock is back. The company never left. Mad Money's back into the break. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. Built on integrity and cultivated with passion, this company has reinvented fast food. After a chain of negative incidents, the stock has gotten scorched. With Chipotle looking fresh again, can it continue to cook up profits with a side of guac? What do we make of Chipotle here? Earlier this year, the beaten down Mexican chain looked like it was finally on the verge of having a remarkable resurgence after spending years in the wilderness following all those health scares in 2015. Stocks up more than 50% for 2018. Most of those gains coming after former Taco Bell CEO Brian Nickel took the helm on March 5th. For a while, it seemed like it would be smooth sailing for the new Chipotle. In July, they reported a fabulous blowout quarter, and the stock roared to $530 by mid-August, its highest level in ages. Then the company had yet another food safety incident, this time in Ohio, causing multiple analysts to downgrade the stock, which is now down nearly 16% from its 52-week highs. Now, Chipotle's been kind of a battleground stock. There are plenty of believers in the analysts at KeyBank, just in shade coverage with an outperform rating last night, also plenty of detractors. So who's right? Longtime followers of the show know how I feel. I like it. But let's go right to the source. Check in with Brian Nickel, Chipotle's new CEO, and Jack Hartung, the chief financial officer, to get a better sense of how the company's doing. Mr. Nickel, Mr. Hartung, welcome to National Taco Day edition of Mad Money. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, We've you. spoken to Jack many times. Welcome to Mad Money the first time. I'm going to go right to what you said has to happen, and you tell me how you're doing. Give me your report card. Okay. Uh, in your July 1st conference, you said uh, becoming a more, you want to be five things becoming a more culturally relevant, engaging brand that builds love and loyalty, digitizing and Modernizing a restaurant experience to create a more convenient and enjoyable guest experience, running great restaurants, great hospitality and throughput, being disciplined and focused to enhance our powerful economic model and building a great culture that can innovate and execute across digital access menu and the restaurant experience. These are lofty goals. How are you doing? What grade do you give yourself? You know, I think we are well on our way in making great progress in each of those areas. Uh, we just came back from our all manager conference. And I'll tell you what, the culture uh, people were on fire. They are so excited about the purpose of Chipotle, and they are so excited about our brand being more visible with our purpose, really engaging with folks on real ingredients, 
uh, real cooking, uh, and what they do in our restaurants every day. Uh, you know, and we just released our most recent round of advertising, uh, which I think our team members are hugely proud of. We got to go into a couple of restaurants, and a couple of guys had cut out uh, the New York Times ad uh, where it talked about, here's all our ingredients, the toughest ingredient pronounced at Chipotle is Chipotle. And it's hanging up on the billboard in the back of the restaurant. So guys are feeling great about uh, the business and the commitment to purpose and getting much more visible about all the good things we're doing for food culture, as well as uh, giving people access to great food. All right. Now, Jack's been here throughout. And Jack, I think that there was a period, and you and I talk a lot, where the company did get defensive, even though uh, us, the loyalists didn't understand that. We knew that there were incidents. It happens. It happens in this business. But the company stopped talking about how good the company is. Yeah, you know, uh, Jim, we got knocked on our heels a little bit. Um, you know, we've always been a company that's about food, uh, real food, real ingredients, real cooking, um, and people, making sure that we hire great people, invest in them so that they can run great restaurants. We got knocked on our heels a little bit, so we stopped talking about the things that made Chipotle special. The great thing now about, you know, since Brian joined and, you know, we brought a new team together is we're back on our front foot. We're talking about our food. Uh, at this hall manager conference, I talked to a lot of longtime managers. They're the most excited they've ever been. They've come up to me and they'd say, Jack, we're back talking about food. We're ta back talking about culture. They're more excited about the future than ever. And that, that just warms my heart because it feels like we're on the right track. Well, in terms of just being defensive, also, I was going to ask you about minimum wage. But you know yeah. what? You guys have always been above that. And you've been educating people, giving people all sorts of perks that other guys talk about. And their perks aren't as good as yours. Yeah, you know, our hourly rate is over 12 bucks. Um, some of our minimum uh, wages in areas of the country are at $13, $14 per hour. But we give a lot more than just an hourly rate. When somebody comes to Chipotle, we give them a future. We'll invest in them so we can teach them how to run a kitchen so they can become a kitchen manager. Teach them how to, um, you know, what great customer service looks like so they can be a service manager. We'll teach them about the business so they can become a salaried manager. Um, and that can happen in a matter of a couple of years. So you can go from an hourly of $12 or $13 an hour person up to a salaried person. You get a company car. You can get options. We pay people bonus for, uh, delivering or for developing crew into managers. And so... Um, there's lots of opportunities to have a long, healthful career at uh, Chipotle. That's why you always see the same people, which is what I like. It's great. I, don't, I don't want new people. Now, some of the things that you've innovated, I, I think, as you go equal to your goals, uh, you're starting to do uh, delivery, uh, digitized, and loyalty. I've always wondered, where is a program like Panera where I get a meal free after spending a lot of money? Yeah, so we're really excited. We just started our Chipotle rewards program. So uh, the more you Chipotle the more free Chipotle you can get. Uh, and that just got started in three markets. So we're in Columbus, uh, Phoenix, and Kansas City. Uh, and part of the reason why we're so excited about doing it is it's one of the number one requested things Hi. people are asking about, like how about a loyalty program? And you know we're early days on it, but what's great is it's bringing in some lapsed users and new users to our business. Uh, because as we digitize the business, this mobile app that we have, people find it a very easy way to access Chipotle. And with millennials and Gen Z, it's frankly their preferential way to interact with Chipotle. And you know, we have this second make line that, right. that was provides so smart. a huge advantage where we can take these orders off of that front line, put them onto the second line, and then we've got shelving so you can just literally walk in, grab your food, and go. I mean, the convenience level is phenomenal. Much and different from the old days. Very different. Much. And then when you put on top of it the idea that we'll reward you 
uh, for accessing the brand through new channels. It gets really exciting for our customers. Okay, for, uh, for Jack, because you've been through uh, the war, so to speak. Uh, I see today Chipotle searching for new food safety head, uh, James Marsden. I remember when he joined Kansas City's, you know, really terrific hire. But it was time for him to move on. What happened? It's uh, where Jim's are we? Been great. You know, he retired. He was a professor. Right. Retired. Um, you know, we needed somebody like Jim. You know, he came on board. He helped us create a food safety council. Um, he's still going to be with us, um, you know, into next year. He's still going to be on our food safety council. He's been fantastic, but he's going to go back into retirement. And so that's what um, I thought. Okay. Listen, we, we're lucky that we had him for the time that we had. And, um, you know, we have world class people on our food safety council. Um, and food safety is going to be something that's always going to be a high priority for us. That's not going to change. People always ask me, uh, you came from Taco Bell, where they do have preservatives. And, yeah, there's been, you know, you've been at war kind of, but never, by the way, never slide. I always try to get them to slide Taco Bell. You would never do it. But uh, some, people say, some <laughs> people say, well, that's why they never had a safety problem. But that's not true. It has nothing to do with preservative, non-preservative, ingredient, non-ingredient, right? It just doesn't, that's just a canard. Yeah, look, the thing that I've been most impressed with since joining Chipotle is the commitment to food safety. I believe uh, this company, before I got here, had a passion to be a leader in the space. We're gonna build on that. Um, and you know, what we definitely are committed to doing is real ingredients, right. truly fresh, and that does require different food safety standards to be in place. You know, these wellness checks that we do and other protocols that we execute, you're not gonna find that in a lot of other restaurants uh, because we are handling fresh food, uh, and we're truly cooking every day in our restaurants. So it just demands that we have a higher level of commitment to food safety, and we'll always have to be passionate about being a leader in that space. Okay, and uh, shareholders, uh, Bill Ackman, all fine, right? Does check in with you periodically, he's a large shareholder? Yeah, yeah, they've been great partners. Okay, and then finally, uh, just in terms of of the uh, zeitgeist of the company. Yeah. I mean, I know because I own a Mexican restaurant. I mean, I've always felt that, you know, we, we try to get millennials, and you have millennials behind the counter. You, we do. There is an ethos to your company. It was never lost, right? Because, you know, I, I was a believer throughout. I don't mind saying it. I've never lost faith. You know right. that. I sit on here. But the ethos for me, despite those, uh, the, the bumps of the road. Yeah, absolutely. The, the purpose of Chipotle doing, you know, uh, food with integrity and the mission of cultivating a better world it never stopped resonating with millennials and Gen Z. And, you know, a lot of our employees, uh, I think 50, 60 percent of our employees are millennials and Gen Z. And not surprising, we way over index with young people as customers. They just believe in the purpose. They love the food. Uh, and then, you know, the strategies that we're implementing around how we're going to turn around Chipotle, I think the more visible we're on those purpose you know, the more connected and engaged we'll be with those young people. And the consumer cares more than ever about their health. Right? Absolutely. More than ever. They know more than ever. They demand more than ever. And, you know, the more they know about Chipotle, the more likely they're going to come to Chipotle. Terrific. Let's leave it at that. Thank you so much, Jeff, for being with us all through right. this. For Brian Nickel, new person coming in, Brian Nickel, CEO of Chipotle, and Jack Hartung, the CFO. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Yeah, Great you, to have yeah. you on board. Pleasure, really appreciate it. Man Money's back here for the break. As I told you earlier in the show, the Warriors are making themselves known. And when you have a sell-off like we had today, it reminds you that you have to build a portfolio that is prepared to handle anything. That's why we play Am I Diversified? This is where you call, you tell me your top five holdings. I tell you if your portfolio is diversified enough, maybe you've got to mix it up a little. Why don't we start with a tweet. Uh, Scott on Twitter, it's uh, at Scott Koreski, who got right to the point. He has Lowe's, Disney, Apple, Alibaba, and Activision Blizzard. Okay, uh, 
Terrific, terrific company. Obviously, Action Alerts Club name, same thing with Apple. So we got entertainment, we have technology, we have retail. Marvin Nelson's making a major tra- change there. We have gaming, Activision Blizzard doing quite well, Call of Duty, and Alibaba, which let's just call it a, a Chinese department, you know, Chinese retailer. So we have retail. We've got, but in China, retail America, do it yourself. We've got uh, entertainment, tech, and gaming. I think that's perfect. I really like that portfolio. It's a little go go for my taste, but I do like it. Let's go to Greg in New Jersey. Greg. I'm Greg, New Jersey, Middletown, New Jersey. Um, I'm 23, and I want to know if I'm diversified. Okay. I have Google, Disney, Amazon, AT&T, and Monmouth Real Estate Investment Corp. Huh, Monmouth. You know, we had them on. That's a long time ago. Okay. So, all right, so now, you know, you don't really need income right now because you're a younger person, but that's all right. You got some growth stocks, you got some income players. Amazon, obviously, I think Amazon Web Services is what I've been working on. It's fantastic. That's a great buy right here. Disney, we covered that earlier. So we have retail uh, and also tech. We've got entertainment, we got telco, we have tech. Now, I would tell you because of the FANG problem, this and, and this are a little too much alike. Uh, you can keep the mammoth. I would actually, at this point, let you get rid of Google, even though I have a big position for action alerts, and add a healthcare company. Uh, United Health might be a good opportunity. Uh, you're too clustered, even though you're young. You're still a little too clustered. Let's go to Charlie in Texas. Charlie. Hey Jim. Hey Charlie. I watch the I watch the market daily. I do have some mad money I trade with, but I okay. have some. Uh, a longer term portfolio, also one I call my Super A portfolio. Okay, let's Apple, hear it. Apple, Amazon, AEP, Amgen, and Adobe. And uh, I've added to positions on the pullbacks and uh, taking some profits when they uh, run up. What do you think? All right, let's go to work. American Electric Power, our favorite utility, so that's easy enough. Uh, uh, Amgen, uh, Action Alerts drug name, which I think is terrific, was down way too much today. It was a good opportunity. We'll talk about that tomorrow. And now here's a problem. We've got a- Amazon, Apple, and Adobe. Now, these are going to trade together, as we saw today. So I would keep Apple. I would keep Apple. Um, I am. I, I keep Amazon. I know that's two that are together. Um, and then the other, I would indeed. Um, I would toss. Okay. Uh, uh, all right. Well, that uh, it's Adobe that should go. Amazon, and Apple can stay. Uh, and uh, thank you for playing my diversified man. Money's back after the break. It is time. Time for the light round. Come on, Rob. Both one is hitting the stock down. Bye bye. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skid Daddy? It's time for the light round. Come on, I'm going to start with Rico in California. Rico. Extremely talented, if I say so myself. What's up? You remember me? Do I remember you? Of it's course Rico. I remember. Are you kidding me? It was like yesterday. Yeah. Who the hell is this guy? Yeah. What's up? Well, actually, it was last November. We were talking about that Budweiser. Remember, I quit drinking, put down them bud, and, uh, you know, I had my whole 401k in that. Yeah. So you- yeah, I got you. So let's go to work. Let's work together. Well, what was this dog? Blood, like cement heads. That's what we used to call them when I was growing up, with cement heads. Okay, listen to me and listen good. 
We do not want Anheuser Busch. What we want is Constellation Brands, STZ. And I mean, really, partner, you got to be an STZ. That's the one that's going hard. John in Pennsylvania. John. Hi, Jim. I'm really concerned about the recent big declines in some of the mid-cap software as a service stocks. Oh, specifically yeah. Is the, specifically, is the 15% pullback in Alteric, the science the stock has run too far too fast. Should I buy more at these no, levels? No, see, it's up a lot more than 100%. It's almost like I should institute some rules. If it's up more than 100%, we kind of like, what a cool. I'd say this one is one of those that I talked about at the top of the show. 7 to 10% pullback. Totally realistic. Let it happen, and then do a little bye, bye, bye. picking. I need to go to Tony in Georgia. Tony. Kramer, hunker down. Yes. On WD, Walker Dunlop. Uh, I bought it in May at 5481. It's been going down the tubes about 7 or 8% since then. Should I buy more and realize no, my dreams? No, no, yeah. it doesn't have a good yield. It is an inexpensive stock, but I have no edge, no reason that I can think you want to be a commercial real estate financial services. We like CBRE for a while. Uh, that's okay, but we can't. It just doesn't have what it takes right here. It just doesn't. Let's go to Bill in Missouri. Bill. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Bill. Hey, listen, I've uh, been looking at some 5G investments, and I already own NVIDIA and Intel and Qualcomm okay. and Verizon and AT&T, but I ran across this company called Zayo, Z-A-Y-O, and I was wondering if you um, are familiar with that. You know, they brought up a lot of dark fiber. I've got to do some work, more work on this because I keep hearing about an ongoing dark fiber shortage. Maybe Zayo Group is the way to play it. We will do homework, and we will come back. Ron in New Jersey. Ron. Booyah. Hello, Jim. Hey, Ron. How you been? Great. Thank you for all your little help with the home gamers. Of course. My stock is KTOS. Okay. This is a very interesting one, Kratos. We recommended it. Everybody poo-poo. You got a lot of hate mail, a lot of hate tweets. A lot of people felt it. You know what it's talking about. Well, the stock has been just a huge overachiever. But at this price... Don't need it. Not going to push it here. We prefer to be in Raytheon. Chapel Trust owns Raytheon. We're going to be talking about this at October 13th teaching. This is the cheapest defense stock. Why? Not dependent on U.S. buying. It's much more of an international play. They buy Patriot missiles as the way to placate our president. Let's go to Maureen in Florida. Maureen. Hi, Jim. Thank you for helping people like us get a better handle on our savings. I'm the same as you. I mean, I just wish there had been a show when I started. What's going on when I started buying stocks in 79? What's up? Uh, I purchased Johnson Controls in the mid-90s by a drip program to get involved in stocks. And I funded it until I got a job with a 401k. Uh, It served me well for years, but not so much lately. And I just don't know if I need a, a push to sell it or should I keep it? What's the stock? Johnson Controls. Oh, Johnson Controls is problematic. A series of bad quarters, new CEO, new guy comes in after that. Not demonstrably successful yet. We need to see more. Uh, I'll tell you, this is the proof is in the pudding, and we don't have any proof yet. I, I don't like this industrial. It's one of the few industrials that I'm just not a backer of. Can I go to Scott and Marilyn? Scott. Yeah, hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Hey, Jim, I got trapped in what looks like a bad chart pattern on Nectar Therapeutics. I know it's been all over the place, and I'm in the house of pain. Uh, should I hold it or, uh, or get rid I of it? I think it's a great spec. It's got a big pipeline of drugs. I, I, you know, look, the speculative stocks aren't working that well right now, but I don't want to sell the stock down here. I think that would be a big mistake. Let's go to John in Michigan. John. 
Booyah, Jim. Booyah, John. Thank you for everything you do for us in Bethlehem. Oh, you're quite welcome. I wanted to ask you, uh, at what level would you buy Align Technology? All right, Align Technology is Invisalign. This is the stock everybody knows I like. It's up 60%. It's only down a few percent from its high. This one has to go 7 to 10%. Let's say, no, ah, you know, this stock is too high. I think it's got to go down 357. This goes to 335, 340. Bye, bye, bye. But that's what I'm talking about. Just like I said at the top of the show, stage buys, nothing aggressive. We don't know how long this is going to last. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Think what happened, for heaven's sake, when bond prices plummet and bond yields soar. Do you expect people to go in there and just start buying Clorox willy-nilly, queue up for Colgate, take even more PepsiCo down? No, that's not how it works. Nothing these soft goods staple companies do really matters here. Their stocks all trade like supercharged bonds that plunge right along with Treasury prices. And hey, it makes perfect sense. Who the heck wants Clorox with its puny 2.6% yield when you can get nearly 3.2% from the benchmark 10-year treasury? Do you really want to pay 22 times earnings for a company with a meager 7% long-term growth rate at a time when its gross margins are under attack from commodity inflation and rising transportation costs? This thing is a bond market equivalent here, and bond market equivalents get slaughtered in this kind of environment. I liked the PepsiCo quarter the report that was reported the other day. The company saw an acceleration in the area we were most concerned about two quarters ago, soda. Sure, PepsiCo had to spend to get the growth up, but the organic growth came in at 4.9%, much better than most other players in the category. In a plastic bond market, the stock would be worth buying and owning right here. Sadly, this is not a plastic bond market anymore. And PEP has very few defenses against the rotation out of these kinds of stocks. This rotation is happening faster than usual because we're not used to rates screaming higher so rapidly. PepsiCo has a 3.45% yield. The 10-year gives you nearly 3.2%. And unlike stocks, it's risk-free. So PepsiCo's stock, it drops like a stone. I don't, even want, I, I don't know what to say about Colgate. It's a 2.55% yield, global volume up just 1.5%, and business is so maddeningly inconsistent, you might as just well buy something like the Italian tenure. So, the obvious question to ask is, why not throw away these stocks? All of them. Why not just sell, 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 sell? Honestly, you might ask, who needs Clorox's measly dividend against that voluptuous tenure yield? Okay, well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Short-term, these stocks are facing withering interstitial fire like soldiers on the first day of the Battle of the Somme. And I can't ask anybody to go over the top into that hail of selling bullets. On days like today, the only thing that matters is that bond yields are having their biggest one-day move since President Trump took office. And the bond market is mercifully whipping around the much smaller stock market. However, bonds have a way of attracting buyers as they go down in price and up in yield. They tend to quickly reach a level where money managers stop selling them en masse, or more accurately, their computers stop selling them. Then you have to look at what's been thrown away and think about what management can accomplish in this environment. Active word being management. We don't think about that when we just look at these as staples. I, I want you to think of it like this. In 1989, I owned an apartment in Brooklyn, and I decided we, we had to rent it and move to the suburbs. We were making about 6% on our investment for the rent. After a while, I said, that, well, that's not going to be that good a return. So we booted the place for a little more than we paid for, and why not? We took the money, we bought some municipal bonds. Hey, risk-free. 
What I didn't count on is that 25 years later, the same apartment would sell for seven times what I sold it for because it appreciated in value. I thought it was a 6% income stream that would matter. It was the appreciation that I forgot about. So right now, stockholders are deciding whether they want the 2.6% return on the Clorox apartment or the nearly 3.2% return from the tenure. It looks like an easy choice. But 10 years ago, Clorox traded at $59. It's now at 146 And that's without calculating the additional return from the dividends. Of course, that move came during a period of incredibly low interest rates. But how about this? When I sold that prime Brooklyn real estate in 1989, you know where Clorox stock was trading? Seven bucks. It would have given you a nearly 2,000% return over the past 29 years, including a lot of tightening cycles. You're never going to get that kind of gain from bonds. Don't get me wrong. These bond market alternative stocks are behaving hideously. I recognize that. The hedge fund playbook says you need to stay the heck away from the entire group as long as interest rates are rising. I'm not telling you to try to be a hero. Please, as I said at the top of the show, wait for them to go a little lower. But if you have a long-term time horizon, if you can afford to be patient, then you may want to think about buying the consumer packaged goods stocks oh so gradually into this horrendous weakness. Again, though, no rush. But remember, the appreciation stream, not the dividend stream. That's the real pot of gold at the end of a very tortured rainbow. Stick with Craig. You have my permission to pick, but only if the market is down hard. Otherwise, you missed it. There's fraught nature of the bond market spilling into stocks, so we don't want to be aggressive. Let it come down. It's okay. It can come down. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'd find it just for you, right here at Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.